Welcome to Tab's Two Cents, a show for average Joe investors where we talk finance and how to achieve success. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I wanted to get you on because there's been a lot of developments in gaming recently, and I wonder if you could just walk us through your process, what it's been like over the years seeing gaming develop, what your journey's been like up to this point. Oh man, that's a long answer. So I've been in it for 18 years now. So this is back before iPhone was even a thing. And when we started, we were working on flip phones, doing games for flip phones. So, you know, what you learned back then, most of it you can't even use now. So we went from making games on tiny little screens that the whole game had to fit in literally 64 kilobytes. I don't know if you're familiar with what the games are now, but it's at least, you know, a thousand or maybe 10,000 times the size is what we were limited to. So the games I used to play when I was a kid, they were good because it's all you had, right? So that was kind of the idea back then. You made the best game you could in the space. And then the RAM got more and, you know, you could do more with what you had. You were able to do better things with the games. So we moved into doing iPhone games. Nintendo DS, that sort of thing where we had what we thought was like oodles of space. We can like sky's the limit now, you know, we can make the graphics as good as we, as we want. And, and then they can just keep making it better and better. Right. So you redesign things. A lot of the stuff is classic. Like you can, you can point to some of the classic games that just are timeless, but as things progressed, there were things that, uh, you know, I never thought of when I was getting into games. I thought it was, you just trying to make a really good game and that's all that matters. Right. So then you quickly realize that you're not in it to make games. You're in it to make money. That's kind of how the, the it works. And I think people outside of the space, they'll come to me and say, you know, my kid has a great idea for a game. It's the greatest game ever. I was like, yeah, it, I'm sure it is. You know what you need, though? You need several million dollars. And then if it is a good game, like you say it is, if you want to finance it, I'll be happy to make it. So it's not really as you expect it to be before you get into it, right? And then that being said, as you go through, you know, the different iterations of the different technologies, you got to come up with better ways of making money, right? It is a business. So we moved into, like, we did a lot of work for higher stuff over the years. So it's, it's simple for me as a game designer. It was just, you know, Lego would come to you and say, we, we here's X amount of money. We want you to make a game on these platforms. And it kind of roughly has to do with this brand. So we would make whatever they wanted us to for that price. And that was it. And, and it was a fun game. And we all had a good time doing it. But then we quickly realized that, you know, the money, the big money is in having your own IP, right? So My Senior Monsters being the big one that we are currently working on. But over the years, we had plenty where it's just one game that's your own IP that's kind of carrying everything through. But those things are, it's a little bit of a different design perspective where you are looking at, you know, how do we make even more money than just, you know, what somebody's going to pay you right up front. And that's where free to play came into the picture really, I guess, at the advent of the, uh, the app store. So Apple first, and then you know, Google App Store. And it's a little bit of a different ball game when you're looking at a free game and then trying to make a lot of money off of a free game. So we had another shift in how do you make money off of video games or how do you succeed as a business in games rather than just, I'm making a fun game and everyone's going to love it, you know? So we saw that shift as well. And then I think most recently we're seeing a shift kind of out of that where people are just sick of it. And they're sick of these free games with ads everywhere or, you know, tricking these people into making purchases they didn't want to, that sort of thing. So we're kind of moving back out of that into, you know, some games that are premium games where you're paying for a console game or something, something like that. So we've been working a lot of that just recently and having some success in it. So, I mean... If you look at 18 years ago, uh, and if, if you were to ask me, like, you know, what did I learn back then that I could bring forward with me? It's, it's basically nothing. You're relearning it over and over again as the years go on. So, and then that's, that's half the fun, right? To be honest, I, 
the changing landscape and it's something that you can't kind of rely on. Uh, you just have to keep learning. It's something that keeps us going. And I think people that are really big into game development, that's what they love about it, right? It's coming up with the next big thing. Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities there. A lot of people that might be watching this could be interested in picking stocks and, you know, venture capitalists, what they like to do is you know, pick a whole bunch of stocks, hoping that a couple will do well. When I think about a free game platform, most users will play and they won't pay anything, but then you'll probably get the odd one that'll really buy in and yep. do a whole bunch of in-app purchases. Right. So, I mean, if we're talking about what to invest in, I think it's like anything where, you know, if you want to invest in free-to-play games, first thing you do is you get yourself a time machine and you go back to when it was a viable thing, like in when it was the new thing, right? So I think at this point, you wouldn't want to do that. You wouldn't want to invest in something that's the technology is already the people have already milked it you know what i mean so it's trying to find that next thing like i said and being successful with it so i remember you know when we first started getting into iphone the conversations we had with our ceo about where to put your eggs you know you don't want them all in one basket so we've always been very good at kind of diversifying we always had like one or two things that kind of paid the bills and he said no we, we can't afford to put anything into iphone like we can't port this thing to iphone nobody has an iphone like it's brand new technology nobody has one why would we waste our money porting it over our games over to a platform where only a handful of people have it, right? So our maximum amount of revenue we could make is X because that's the ca that's the cap, right? Not looking beyond that to, you know, whatever the thing is that's going to take off, right? You got to get in there on the ground floor. And then of course, you know, hindsight's 2020, iPhone blows up. Now everybody's got an iPhone. So, I mean, at that point we went against his will and we went and made the, the game for the iPhone anyways, and it turned out to work out, but it, it's kind of having to know what the next thing is rather than, you know, whatever's working now, let's jump into that. So if you're investing in something, I wouldn't look at something that is already working. I would try and find whatever the next thing is if you're looking for a big, big return. Because I mean, at this point to make a free to play game, like I said, a game like My Seeing Monsters that has hundreds of millions of players, if you re-release that game today, uh, it goes nowhere. It, it's just a totally different landscape, right? So a lot of it is being at the right place at the right time and being able to have that foresight to know what the next big thing is going to be and what people are going to gravitate towards what the next technology is going to be. So I mean, who knows what it is, right? You just have to get lucky sometimes what role do you think 5g is going to have in this for mobile gaming mobile gaming i'm i don't know i feel like we're already at the tip top of what we can we can do in a mobile phone i think the big thing that's holding it back is the controls themselves there's only so much you can do with the touch screen right so you do, you're not going to see you know something like uh your triple a titles on a phone just because it's so difficult to play on there and you know it's a small screen nobody really wants to play a game like that on a small screen so i think we've already overcame the bandwidth problems you know before we had to make sure our game was super small because you didn't want to waste your data plan you know uh, and now people everyone's got wi-fi right so we don't have that limitation so you can have a game that I don't even know what my scene monsters is at now, but the initial download of the game is in the gigabytes. And then you have an additional download after that, after you've already installed the game that gets even more and you keep adding more stuff and nobody really cares. But it used to be an issue where you'd have to say, you know, like we've got to keep this thing smaller. Nobody's going to download it because, you know, the, the bandwidth is the issue. So I think at this point, since everyone's on Wi-Fi everywhere they go, whether they go to Tim Hortons or to their grandma's house, everyone's got a Wi-Fi. I don't think bandwidth is going to make much of a difference for mobile gaming. That said, I, I think now is the time for cloud gaming. I think uh, Stadia was the one that just came out, Google Stadia. It d really didn't take off, but I think that was the issue with that one, right? So you, you it's more like a, a games as a service rather than I bought a physical copy of the game. You, you don't have to own the game. You can play the game more like Netflix where it's just streaming and the bandwidth can handle it. So I think maybe that is something we've moved towards. I mean, like I said, they tried it. People aren't really ready for it quite yet, but I think that's going to be the way they move.
for sure. I could see it. I know I have a friend of mine who has one of those systems and he, and he played for a while, but he didn't really get into it for whatever reason. What do you think about competitive gaming? Is that, have you seen that expand a lot? I know it was huge as StarCraft and Counter-Strike, but I'm not really sure where it's at now. It, yeah, it's, it's huge. Like we didn't do any games that are in that space. There's a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure that it's secure, it's safe. Um, there's no cheating, that sort of thing. And a lot of money's got to go into that. So you kind of have to know ahead of time that you're going to be able to make it into a competitive, that people want to make it into a competitive game. So the companies that are doing that are the ones that have already done it, right? So, you know, the Blizzards, the uh, Activision, they already know what to do. They already know how to approach those audiences and what people are looking for. So they, they can invest in that safely without... Like for, for a company like us, nobody knows if, if people are going to play our game, right? So if I was to spend, you know, a hundred times what I normally would on a game, just to make sure that it's something that'd be played by everybody and be competitive, then maybe it just nobody picks it up or nobody wants to play it. And then that's the end of my studio, right? So we were taking more safe bets, but some of the big guys, for sure, that's the way that they're going. And there's some big money in it too, especially with, you know, Twitch and Facebook streaming and all the streaming sites. Uh, people just want to watch it, right? It's just like regular TV. And that's something that as a 42-year-old, I don't understand at all. And that's watching someone else play a game. If I have time to play, I'm going to play my own. I'm not going to watch someone else play, but it's a huge market. So it's something that we are tapping into, not from the game side, but for marketing and that sort of thing. So we do a lot of influencer marketing through those channels. We understand how they work. It's just, uh, like I said, a big footprint when you want to invest in something like that as a, you know, an esports type thing. It's really interesting. I, I was going to bring up big companies like Activision, Blizzard and EA games, because it seems to me that gamers as a group, and, and I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush, but they generally hop from game to game. But these big legacy producers, they still manage to hold on to audience. Like, I mean, I don't know how many iterations of Call of Duty there's been, but they still manage to keep getting people to buy their games. And how do you think they do that? Is that just money or? It is, but I think those guys have boards that they have to answer to. They have investors they have to answer to. So it's very easy for them to say, listen, you know, they bought this game before. We're just going to make it, you know, Madden is a great example. We already know people are going to buy it. So it's worth X amount of money. So it's a safe investment. So it's much easier for somebody like these games costs, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars sometimes to make. So that's a big investment in something that's brand new that maybe people don't like. And it takes, you know, a giant team five years or six years, 10 years sometimes to make. You want to make sure that it's a guaranteed bet, right? So that's the easiest thing to do is just find something that, because there's so many games out there now that something new might just fly under the radar. You might not see it because there's just so much competition there, and there's only so much time in a day for somebody to play, right? So for me, myself, when I'm playing games, I only have, like with three kids, I only have a an hour uh, here and there to play, I'm going to play something I know I'm going to enjoy, which is, you know, the next iteration of the game I already knew I enjoyed. So I think that's, that's it. It's just a safe bet. Occasionally they'll come up with an idea. Like I said, everyone has great ideas. It's just, is it a safe bet? Are you willing to put the millions of dollars behind it and the 10 years of, uh, of your studio's time behind it when there's so much out there? Like there's so many good ideas out there. And I mean, if I'm Activision, I'm Blizzard, I'm just going to do the same thing. You know, occasionally you can try something new, but for the most part, you just do what works and it's guaranteed money, right? So it's generally what people want is to play a familiar game. Yeah. Well, I mean, every once in a while, there's a new game that comes out that's, you know, that gets hyped up for one reason or another. You know, there's some virality there there's some luck there's some right place at the right time kind of thing but it's there's more that fail that than than succeed in that space especially for the mid-sized companies so i think if you are the big guys you your bread and butter is the ones you know work so the next you know call of duty or the next madden uh, you're guaranteed to do that and then with some of the extra money you can take some risks
and hope that they pay off. Been hearing a lot of smart people talk about developing communities online. And it seems like this is sort of the way that they're going. They want people to be able to engage with each other online and have a unique experience for themselves. Yep. I don't know if you could speak to that a little bit. Right. I think that's something you need now. You can't you can't succeed without it, right? So one of the best examples years and years ago was Minecraft. Uh, when that game came out, the success of Minecraft was, like, it was not even finished when it first came out. You could buy it in alpha state. Is that people were talking about it. People were contributing their ideas. You know, they're part of that community. And then the most important thing was that that was when YouTube started getting big and, and it was starving for content. So people started making content with that game and sharing it. So as a developer, you couldn't possibly make all that content yourself to put it out there, you know, in advertising stuff. But if you can get your community to advertise for you, it's so much cheaper, right? So if you can get this thing, if your game is designed in such a way that it's entertaining to watch or entertaining to see what people can do with it. So whether it's a playground like Minecraft, where I can make a giant castle and show it off, or, you know, it, they just started adding things to that game so that it was easy for you to create content with it. And I feel like all games are doing that now, where even My Singing Monsters, we have a big community. It's a tight knit community of you know, hundreds of thousands of people who just love to talk to each other um, about the game and, you know, they create content for each other. So they'll make an island or make a song on an island and share it, or they're all part of in the game itself. You can be part of, a, 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 I don't know what it's called now, but it was called a tribe at one point um, and you work together. Uh, but I think it's a big, you know, Twitter slash Instagram slash YouTube community of content creators that we don't pay. They're just rabid fans who love the content. We just give them stuff and let them run with it. So I don't know if you could have a successful game now that doesn't have some aspect of that where someone else is doing that for you. A great example is, you know, if I wanted to be in the top of the app store years ago, I could do that. I, I knew how to do that, the types of games to make. I knew how to get there. But now you, there are companies that are literally spending millions of dollars a month on advertising. Unless you're spending more, you're never going to beat them. You're never going to be above them in that app store. So how do you get visibility? And like I was saying earlier, if you have the best idea, that's literally the best game idea that's ever been created and you were to put it in the app store right now, it would just get buried instantly. Nobody would see it. You have to do something else. And unless you have millions of dollars a month to put into it, which nobody, that's not a safe bet. You have to do something else. So you make your game is probably the easiest way is you, and hope that it's something that the community latches onto and that they, you know, that community likes working together on things and then they advertise for you. Because other than that, I don't know how else you would do that. I don't, at this day and age, I don't know if there's a better way. Seems like scale really is an advantage in the video game industry, which to be honest, I was unaware of that until we talked just now, which brings up Another question for me, I'm going to get to the first buzzword, metaverse. When we see Facebook transitioning to meta platforms, where do you think the metaverse is going? Is is anybody going to be able to compete with those guys? Um, I'm not sure. I'm hoping that, you know, the the good that comes from having stuff like that is uh, is outweighs the bad because I know that you know social media in, in general is is an issue these days and having those spaces is great when they're well intentioned you know having a place to chit chat with friends or having groups of their like minded people because you're all in the same uh, knitting class or whatever th those sorts of things are great but when you have these uh, unregulated spaces I think there's going to be a crackdown on that not to the level of you know what China's doing but. I think 
the idea of the metaverse is great, but I just don't think in practice that it's just going to fly for much longer, right? Because we already see it, you know, in political discourse or, you know, hate groups, that sort of thing. It's an issue they have to solve first. So Facebook, I think is, I, I think they're just putting band-aids on, on the problem right now by doing the whole metaverse thing. They're still going to need content creators. They're still going to need the little guys, right? So you can still exist within those spaces. And I think Apple is a good example that, yes, they do have a bit of a monopoly on, you know, the app space, but they'd be nothing without the content creators, without the game developers. So they still have to have have a place that's, uh, you know, profitable for those companies as well. So I picture it being the same way um, where people are just working within it. What do you think the metaverse is going to look like? Is it going to be something that you strap on VR goggles and you go into and then you can walk through like a store? Or do you think it's going to be like, as you say, different spaces that you log into to talk to each other with an avatar? I'm not really informed on this space. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are. That already exists. Like, so since the advent of VR, like you can still go in and with your Oculus and do that sort of thing, but it, it hasn't taken off for whatever reason. And I think, I don't even know which way it would go instead. It's still a, a pretty big expense to, to do something like that. Like those aren't cheap. So you're not going to have that huge buy-in that you would require for everyone to have that. They could go the route of like, I don't know how many Google homes or Alexas you have in your house, but they're giving those away like crazy just because they want, you know, penetration there. They want everyone to be using it. Uh, so they're taking a loss, just sending them off. I got a free Google home for everything. You know, I get a Spotify account. Here's your free Google home, that sort of thing. Um, so they could do something like that if it became, you know, not a total waste of money for them to send everyone this equipment uh, and it's a possibility but the issue with vr in general is uh, have you used it much no it's nauseating so and i don't know how they'll fix it so the issue with vr still is the goggles do not know what you're focusing on they don't know you know if i'm looking at my hand or through my hand so the focus is always going to be a little bit off and and your brain knows your brain knows that there's something going on there so until they fix some of those issues you'll still have people that are just i don't want to be i don't want to have that vr on so i don't think it'll be that but in terms of like having spaces that already exists right there's different there's always a new platform that pops up you know starts with myspace or in the facebook and twitter or instagram or snapchat or whatever it is new platforms are popping up as the cool thing to be part of and then you know i can just go there with my friends and, and do whatever tiktok i think is a more recent one but i don't think you need you need to actually be fully immersed in those sorts of things i think the short form since you know the scrolling through something is so easy now you're just flipping through you're spending less time on each of those images everything is kind of faster so the quicker you can get in there and do your thing the better for better or worse i don't know if that's a good thing or not for the kids but i don't think they're going to be keen to, to do something that takes a lot longer whether that's like wander through a store with vr goggles on or something like that i think either i go to the store or i just do something quick whatever the quickest way of you know, getting my product is that's just my opinion just seeing the which way it's working now because uh, there's still something to be said about you know going to a physical store or going to you know a museum i don't want to see the picture of mona lisa i want to go and actually experience it that sort of thing so i'm not sure if like their dream of everything being in that space is ever going to come to fruition. That's kind of an interesting space for me. I, I agree. I think it's too expensive. I don't know if that'll just be a matter of the technology, kind of like televisions, just as it progresses, it gets cheaper and cheaper. And then eventually everybody has a 65 inch TV. Right. Or if people will just refuse to hop into the metaverse, but it's, you know, I wouldn't have thought that people would have been on their phones as much as they are either. So That's it's really true. hard to predict. Yeah, I think with the phones, like I'm saying, it's 
it's so quick. You're there and you're done. Like when you're waiting in line, you can just check something quick and it's, it's, you're feel, filling up all that spare time you have and you're wasting it. Of course. I think it's just the, the ease at which you're able to do that. If it's, if they're able to do that with, you know, say we had glasses or something like that, and it's just there, maybe I know that technology has been around. It's not great either. More augmented reality type stuff might work better than a full immersion with the VR. There are a lot of companies working on that now, just so that you have extra information at all times. Yeah, for sure. One thing I wanted to ask you about the next buzzword, of course, is the crypto space. I don't know, you know, it's really hard for people like me who aren't technically inclined to grasp what's going on in that world. From what I understand, Bitcoin isn't really useful, but Ethereum can be used as a building block to create programs. Yep. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that just for any listeners. Sure. I think I'm I'm closer to where you are, where I, I have general idea about how it works. I know I know how the underlying technology works, but in terms of like how to use it for, you know, if I was to start up a company that uses Ethereum to do this, that, or the other thing, I'm not really sure if I'd have any ideas for that, but I do know that they use it it's the transactions are cheaper for Ethereum. So you could use, you know, buy a cup of coffee for it. It's just too expensive to do that with Bitcoin. So there's different technologies that, I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of coins out there now. Uh, a lot of them are just, you know, pump and dump kind of schemes where people are trying to trying to rip you off. Um, some of them actually have uses. I don't think the technology is going anywhere. I think the governments can crack down all they want. That the whole point is that you, you can't regulate it even if you wanted to. I know, again, China saying it's illegal to do those transactions, but trying to find it and trying to see who's doing it is going to be difficult. So it's always going to be there. And I think the benefit of those currencies is like any currency that no real value, like the dollar has no value other than the paper it's printed on. It's not even backed by anything. It used to be, you know, like the gold standard. It's not backed by anything anymore. It's just made up. So it's no no different to the people using it other than when I'm doing a Bitcoin transaction, there's no visa in the middle saying, okay, well, I have to verify on both sides to make sure, you know, you don't have to worry about someone else in the middle doing all your, your work. It's there and everyone knows it's there and it doesn't go anywhere. So it's on the ledger forever that that transaction happened and there's no way to fake it. So I think it has benefits that you'll never have with just a central bank system. Uh, so that's why, you know, people are enjoying using it. It is volatile. I like, I wouldn't, Amy was asking me and my wife, she's saying, why didn't we put more money into Ethereum? You put some in, why didn't you put a bunch? You know, because it's like anything, right? It could have went, could have went down. There's a lot of coins that did go down. So it is a bubble. I think at this point, I think it's higher than it should be right now, but, but what do I know? Right. <laughs> so all it takes is another Elon Musk to tweet about it. And then suddenly it goes to the roof, not because the value went up. It's just because, like I said, with the dollar, nobody's, nobody can say what the value is because it's not based on anything. It's just based on stuff nobody understands, you know, geopolitical garbage that, you know, this government says it's worth more than that government's currency. And I don't know how any of that works. We have to do as we're told with it. And this is how the societies work. So we got to stick with it. But I don't see it going anywhere as an investment. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a whole bunch in it. One thing I wanted to talk to you about as well is I know you've worked a lot on advertising and there could be some people watching the show who want to build their own brand. I didn't, I didn't know if there were certain ways that you found worked well. And especially with all the new laws coming in with Apple and user tracking and all those things, what you guys could have done to help your brand and your games. Right. So, and that's something that was evolving as well. So for the past few years, I moved into a role of the user acquisition director. So I was taking care of all of our user acquisition, bringing users into the game. And, you know, it started off years ago, you're hoping your game goes viral. So people will come in that way. There's no way to track it. So I think traditional marketing, if I say I have an advertisement at Cineplex and you see my my game before you watch a movie, I have no idea who saw that. I don't have no, no idea who came into the game. 
and what they did when they were in the game. So it's kind of like a crapshoot. I have no, I have no idea what the effectiveness of that marketing was. So then I don't even know, five or 10 years ago, uh, people started coming to us and saying, listen, we have this platform where we can put this stuff in your game and then people can advertise, show ads in your game, and then you can make money that way. And we thought, well, this is never going to fly. It's not going to work because I didn't have enough space to put your junk in my game. I could barely fit the stuff I wanted to put in the game. So we kind of laughed it off and then it started becoming like a huge industry. So now obviously every single free game you go in has ads in it, you know, and that's something we thought was never going to happen. But the users that come in, the very small minority of them will actually make a purchase, but it doesn't matter uh, because the ones who don't still see ads and, you know, and depending on who the, who the ad is for, you get paid a certain amount. So that part of it we used in reverse. So we use it to bring users into our games and you'll see, we'll have ads, you know, on Facebook pages and feeds and Instagram feeds, wherever you can see ads, I'm paying to have my ad shown there. So they're very sophisticated platforms that it's based on user tracking. So obviously Google knows everything about you. Facebook knows is everything about you. And, and they use that to sell ads to me. So if I'm saying I want to get users into my game, I'm willing to spend X dollars, let's say, you know, like two or $3 to bring somebody into the game. I want to know that that person is our audience is our target audience. So, you know, somebody who played this other game or somebody who is really into Donald Trump, uh, somebody who's into whatever it is, the level of tracking that I was able to do was beneficial because then you track the user as they come in, they click the link. We used a third-party attribution company that would track all of that and tell us, you know, who do we have to pay for bringing that user in? And then the user would go on to make a purchase in the game or they would, you know, leave right away. And we would track all that. So we have dashboards that would show, you know, how successful that campaign was if we got our money back on average. So, you know, the people who did make a purchase, did they make up for the ones who didn't? Uh, and it was a very good system for a long time, uh, or so we thought, because uh, you could track it. So if, for every dollar I spent, as long as I brought back like 80 cents on that, we can assume that that person told a friend or, you know, we'd get some organic growth for free. Uh, and then just having your brand out there, having, you know, people seeing your brand everywhere um, is going to have that just natural traditional marketing effect where, you know, you see it enough times, it, it's going to be something that, you, that sticks with you. So over the years of the past 10 years of my same monsters being around, we have that effect of people have seen the ad and a lot of people are sick of seeing the ads. But so what we did was uh, for the, for years, we bring in users, you pay X amount of money. And then depending on how much money on average they make in the game, we could just keep doing that month over month. And we were spending like everyone, like a lot of money on that, but it was coming right back to us. So and it kept the game alive for nine years. But now we're at the point where Apple has said, you know, no more tracking. I'm not telling you wh who, who this is. I'm not giving you the device information. So it was really tied to that device. You know, d does that device like cupcakes? Does that device, uh, have they been to Vegas? All the information that you could normally just tap into, it was gone. So you can't track it anymore. So then when I'm making a purchase, I'm buying, buying those users. I don't know what they're worth anymore because I, I don't know what they did when they came into our game. I can't track them. So it kind of blew that whole thing up. It's you can still do it. You just can't track it anymore. So you can't verify that it was money well spent. So then, you know, if you're working with a third party company, you just don't trust them anymore because you, you can't you can't verify that they, they brought you who they said they did. And Google is moving in that direction as well. So recently we decided, you know, like maybe maybe this isn't as good as we thought it would be. So I stopped all of our user acquisition and it was a scary day because it's basically my whole job. And I said, I don't think my job is useful. <laughs> we should stop doing what I'm doing because it's not working. And we did. So we stopped it and we realized that our new user count didn't go down. We didn't start losing those users. They were just coming in as organic users. So which tells us, you know, we were buying people who were going to come in anyway. 
and buying them at a large scale and spending a lot of money. So all it did really was save us all that money and the, the people came in. So we moved, we shifted our focus to influencer marketing, just, you know, reaching out to mid-sized influencers, getting them to play the game if they haven't already. Because the brand has been around such a long time, people, they, you know, in the comments for those videos would say, you know, I love this game when I was a kid. This is my whole childhood, they'd say, which is, it makes me feel old. That Like the game I made is somebody's whole childhood. But, you know, and now these people have grown up and they they have jobs and money and they always wanted to make a purchase in the game, but they couldn't afford it before. So we're seeing this renaissance period with the game. And you could do it with any brand, you know, like we see brands coming back, uh, whether it's cereal brands or like, you know, He-Man or whatever stuff from your childhood coming back, it's kind of cyclic. So you have to find out whatever that, that cycle is. And if you do your advertising in that manner, you can kind of capitalize on it without having to spend on every single user you're bringing in. So rather than doing install-based marketing, we're moving towards, you know, here's some money and let's just pay attention to see how many more new users came in from different locations. So if I did a campaign in Brazil, it's easy to see that, you know, our new users from Brazil went up. It seems to be working a little bit better for us these days. And then you get a bunch of it for free. So we did have a lot of people making, you know, TikToks, since that's a new platform that's blown up, where we didn't pay a dime. They just made a TikTok that had 5 million views. And we see the effects of that. So for the time being, then we're moving into that. And I feel like that, you know, the the advertising, the in-game paid uh, install-based advertising is probably going to die. I don't think that's a, a viable way of getting users anymore. So we just have to find out what the next thing is. Because when it first started, we were reluctant to put any money into it. And then eventually it just kind of blew up. So kind Kind of ties it all back to what we were talking about in the beginning, where you got to know what the next big thing is, right? So if we can find the next big way to bring people into your game to get traction for the best game ever, you know, get some visibility on it. That's the hardest part of game development is the visibility. It's really interesting. And I know it's exposure is so important because I mean, as you say, you send out exposure to people who want to play that game. So, you know, there's obviously mixed feelings on tracking, but if you're sending them something that they're probably going to like, it's not necessarily a bad thing because right. now you can expose them to the product that they're looking for anyways. Right. Well, we always talked about people getting upset about the tracking. And of course, they already know everything about you. So, you know, like the, the COVID alert app, I had a lot of people ask me questions about, well, is this dangerous? Are they tracking me? Like they already are. This is for a good reason though. So, you know, I wouldn't worry too much about it, but it's not tracking for malicious purposes, right? Like they're not trying to see what you did wrong or, or you know, that sort of thing. I, I liken it to when you walk into an arena and you see a, a bulletin board and somebody put up they're selling skates and nobody gets upset and says like, why are they trying to sell me skates? Just because I'm at an arena, they're just using that data that I like coming to the arena that I might like skates. Like, of course they did. Well, that's where I would put that ad, right? I would put it in an arena because people might want skates when they come to an arena. That's the level of targeting uh, in relationship to, you know, ads that you actually want or games that you might want to play. So I don't get too upset about it myself. And, and I'm sure that you could use it for malicious purposes, but why would you, right? Like there's no reason to, unless... You know, the, I, the government could do it, but I'm not doing anything wrong. So go nuts. Show me the the advertising that might be relevant to me. I'd rather that than show me some random stuff I clearly don't care about. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think this has been great. The last thing I wanted to ask you, just kind of a fun question. What's your favorite game now? And what game are you most excited about moving forward? Like I was saying before, I just, I play the stuff I already know I like. So there's a new Final Fantasy game, Final Fantasy VII. The second part of that's coming out. So I'm looking forward to that. And then just whatever I can play with the kids. So we just released a My Scene Monsters console game called Playground. It's like Mario Party, if you've played those types of games. So it's a party game that kids can play. So even my three-year-old can play it. So we've been playing a lot of that. It just stuff that we can play with the, you know, the, the niece and nephew when they come as well. So I get more enjoyment playing with them than I do playing on my own these days. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's, you know, the whole point, whatever's the most fun. So yeah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. We'll have to get you on again sometime. It's been no awesome. problem. Yeah, it was, it was great. Thanks a lot. Joe is not a financial advisor and may have interest in the stocks discussed on the show. So do not take any information included within this podcast as a recommendation or formal advice. Thank you. Thank you.